Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. While your local public television station holds its fundraising drives, WealthTrack is focusing on new topics for our podcasts to help you improve your portfolios and finances. Check them out on WealthTrack.com. During Women's History Month, WealthTrack Women is featuring women who are making a difference in business and finance. Join us for career advice from three successful women entrepreneurs, including Swell's Sarah Kaus. Pension expert Teresa Gilarducci provides timely retirement solutions. Award-winning wealth advisor Karen Altfest explains her women-centric approach. Hello and welcome to Wealth Track. I'm Consuelo Mack. Do women have different financial needs than men? Do they prefer an alternative approach to financial planning? Today's guest, award-winning wealth advisor Karen Altfest of Altfest Wealth Personal Wealth Management, has been helping women for over 30 years. As she told Forbes magazine when named one of its top women wealth advisors, my focus on women is why I come to work every day. I think it's because of the way I was raised. I was the youngest of three children. I had an older brother. He was... uh, taught by my father about business, about real estate, about finance. I didn't realize that till I was older. They used to go out together every Sunday, and they'd say they were out for a drive. But my father was teaching my brother about business, and these were things that I, as a young adult, uh, took on myself to learn. And I sort of imagined that the women I knew and grew up with in a different city, in a different place, are probably still like that and letting their husbands do it, their sons do it, their brothers do it. It may not be true for all the women, <laughs> but it's it's an impression I have and, and that I'd like to work against. You were a history major. I was. No, I was an education major at McGill and then a history major in graduate school. So when did you get into finance? I got into finance after getting my PhD. I taught for one year. And uh, then I was asked by Pace University to create a program for people who wanted to be certified financial planners. I I had to find the students. I had to find the teachers. I had to create the courses. And and I thought, this is really interesting. (laughs) And little by little, I became wooed by the profession and joined it myself. And when did you start focusing your practice on women specifically? When I think about it, I mean, how many women certainly on their own accord, would go to a financial planner until maybe very recently, if. And so was it normally through their husbands would come and seek your financial advice, and, and then you, oh, by the way, this is my wife, or how did that Very happen? often the husbands showed up with a wife, and the husbands were very much in charge. My focus was always on the women. I would work with men, as I still do now. If, if they're the client and they have a need, that's fine. But I prefer to work with women because I feel there's so much that I could do. So that's interesting. And, uh, and you know, how do you n- navigate if the if the the husband comes in who basically is kind of in charge? 
how do you get to the point where you can actually talk to the wife alone or the spouse, the significant other alone? Is that a negotiation that you have to Well, we have? always ask before the, the couple come in uh, if the wife is coming too and would he try to bring her. And so in at least 80% of the cases, the husband shows up with the wife and the wife may not be interested. She may be very interested. It really just depends. What are the kinds of of issues that women want to talk about that men don't? Well, there are two things. One is the way in which women want to talk, and one is what they want to talk about. For example, the other day I had a call from one of my clients who uh, can afford any wardrobe she wants, and she said she was in a dress shop. Was it okay if she spent a certain amount? Uh, She was going to a special event, and she could, and she said, well, I'm going to tell my husband that you said... Karen said that I could buy this dress, and she really could buy this dress, and she could buy one of those a week, but she doesn't think that of herself. So sometimes it's, you know, how they feel about something, their perception of reality, and uh, sometimes it's about their uh, just wanting your attention, wanting to know that they'll be okay. They're not going to live in Central Park. I've actually never heard a man say that, you know. So the but bag lady syndrome bag is alive lady. and well it, in among certain women? groups, it is. Among women, it is. And people will say that, and they could be at any level of money. Where does that come from? Is, and is that still prevalent with younger clients, for instance? Is that still something that younger women think about? I, I think it's a... Uh, you know, a fear, a leftover fear of people that I won't be okay, I won't have a place to live, I won't have enough to eat, I didn't do enough to prepare for these days, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to be okay. I don't think, I've never heard young women say, I'm going to live in a park, but Mm -hmm. they're not so much better educated about their finances than older women. So that's interesting. You're finding that the younger women are not much better educated about their finances? They may have better jobs. They may uh, be waiting longer to get married and have families, and they may seem very independent. And when it comes down to money, they may not be prepared. I was asked by a group of female students at Yale University to come and speak to them because they said they could not graduate until they knew something about finance. And I was really very moved that they had called me instead of a professor or instead of an organization. The girls themselves, these lovely young women, reached out to me, and I just couldn't say no to that. It (laughs) It was a wonderful evening. I bet it was, and you know, lucky them. But what's sad is that they're graduating from Yale University and Ivy League College with no grounding in finance. I, th- I thought at least that there would have been some progress made in the educational establishments, but I guess they're not. Well, I have heard very discouraging numbers that the U.S. is 14th in the world in financial literacy, and we should be doing better than that. So what is your approach with women in general, and and how does it differ from that with men? Well, the approach with women is to communicate well, to listen well. We have uh, an annual meeting every June, and at the end we have speakers, and at the end we have a lot of questions, and 80% or more of the questions come from men, and they're very good questions. But when I have women's sessions, 100% of the questions come from women, and they're excellent questions. If the stereotype that I've always had of the interactions that financial advisors have with 
men versus women is that men want to get right to the investment portfolio and how am I doing and you know how am I doing versus my benchmark and um, whereas women tend not to care as much about the numbers but they care more about lifestyle you know what can I afford um, and also financial security is are those accurate stereotypes well, financial um, needs are the same for everybody everybody wants shelter everybody wants food everybody wants warm clothing wants to educate their kids and then once you get beyond that you want the night at the opera <laughs> you want a vacation I think the needs are the same. I think the way they're perceived could be very, very different. I think uh, emotional impact causes you to feel differently or, or less secure, or the way you've been treated in the business world or in your family. It's very important to go back and say who handled the money in your family, mm -hmm. things like that as you get to know people a little better. There are some people now who are approaching you know, money, how you feel about money, how important that is what, as you just said, what your background, your experience with money is, is, is that something that, that you find that's important to delve into with uh, women especially, or both men and women? Both men and women. I like to ask about it. You know, they say married couples argue more about money than anything else, but it's because they're from different families and people handle the, the money differently. So, you know, she may be expecting the gold bracelet for Christmas. He might think it's nice to write the poem to her for Christmas. But they have very different backgrounds and different expectations. And that explains a lot and helps you get to know who's sitting in front of you. Value-based investing, so social responsible investing. Again, I've heard that women and millennials, for instance, are much more interested in social responsible investing than, than men are traditionally. Are, are you finding that in your practice as we, well? Yes, we are finding that more women are asking for socially responsible investing, and we do have a portfolio of socially responsible. Now, most people want part of their portfolio invested that way, not all of it, which I would second. I think that's a great idea. We have that conversation much more frequently with our women clients. And why do you think that's a good idea? Why wouldn't social responsible investing be a a core part of the portfolio as opposed to? I think to it could be a core part. I don't think it should be the whole part. I believe in a very diversified portfolio, and I would say that about a lot of other investment types. What questions should women ask uh, of their financial advisor? What are the kinds of issues, again, that women should be thinking about that maybe men aren't? I think women should be looking at the totality of their financial lives. They shouldn't be waiting until their husband is gone to find out who their broker is, who their lawyer is, where their money is, all these things. They should uh, sort of be doing a check on their money every year or so, uh, be up to date on knowing about it. So many women will come in and say, well, you know, I don't know if I sign my will. I don't know if I have beneficiaries. I don't know if I have insurance or what it covers. And, and it, it, it's something they should know, but they should know the totality of their life and how doing one thing impacts on the, on the other parts of their financial life and not look at everything as an isolated event. I would love to give women the confidence to make good choices for themselves. One of your subspecialties, and in addition to focusing on women with their financial planning, are widows. Tell us about your interest in widows, number one, and, and what are the kinds of topics that you talk about when you're talking with widows right. in particular? So I think that uh, widows are at a very emotional stage in their lives. 
it's a terrible tragedy if somebody's husband dies very young. I have widows in their 30s, I have widows in their 80s, and it's very, very hard. They're at a new place, a new transition time, and they can be very fearful, they could be very vulnerable, and they may be getting bad advice from their friends and relatives who mean very well but are saying, aren't you going to get off the couch? Aren't you going to go to Europe with us? Aren't you going to dinner with us? And when are you getting back to work? And and on the other hand, they have a group of people saying, I read in the paper, you're not supposed to do anything for a year. Right. Don't change anything for a year. I've well, certainly well, heard that. Well, both are extremes because, you know, you want to use your phone. You want your lights on. If you have young children, you want them to go to school. You're not going to say to them, well, you won't go the next year because, <laughs> because I don't feel up to it. So you have to uh, still manage to do a lot, and yet you want to put off the bigger changes in your life because I've known women for whom that hasn't worked out. I, I know a woman whose husband died in their vacation home, and she could never go there again, and she sold it, and she's regretted it for over 10 years now. I hear about this all the time, and, and I understand, and she should have asked her children or you know, seen if that was the right choice for her. And I've known people who've um, sold their New York apartment to move to another state that they hadn't even been to and immediately wanted to come back, but there was no apartment to come back to. Mm. And so, yes, it's better not to rush those decisions. And so those are the kinds of things we talk about. You know, I mean, it's not for me to say you should go to Maine, you should go to New Hampshire, you shouldn't go to California. But rather, what would you like to do? What would you feel comfortable? And sometimes to guide a person. So it sounds like you're playing not only the role of a financial planner, but it's also kind of part therapist, friend, <laughs> told that advisor. <laughs> and, it, and especially in, in the, the vulnerability stage, which widows are in. So is that as important as helping them, guiding them with their financial lives? Well, I think to encourage them to have the confidence that, that things will work out and and that they will in, in they will make decisions that suit them and they will come out of it okay. It, it struck me uh, what you were just saying about how dependent women still seem to be on their men uh, and on the the financial uh, wherewithal of their partners versus their own financial wherewithal. Are, are you dealing with women who are basically the major breadwinners or who are single or divorced, and, and are, are their needs different than, than those of the spouse of a successful man? Yes. I mean, we, we do deal with women who are on their own, and so they're handling money their own. Now, the average woman may spend something like 20 years either before she's married or after she's married handling her money. But a woman who's single and independent would have been doing much more of that all those years. I think there's a very, very wide range. We do have some women who are top executives and top corporations, and their husbands are stay-at-home husbands. They're still in charge of the money, usually. The men are. Interesting. Because the woman doesn't have time. Uh, is the most given reason. And uh, so you do see women at all ends of the spectrum. Of course, the majority of women we see are in traditional relationships, meaning that the guy will make most of those decisions. You know, I'm just thinking that the, the women's needs, uh, as far as I think you, you mentioned that a lot of the needs are the same, but the fact is that women live longer than men 
and I think there's some statistic that um, a married woman is the likelihood is that she will be alone one way or the other for at least the last eight years of her life. So is that the longevity risk, is that uh, an issue, again, that you have to address separately and that you have to give different financial advice, have different financial plans for women than you do for Well, men? yes and no, because that's very important. Women uh, very often do outlive their husbands. And so for a lot of people, that could be into their 80s, could be into their 90s. 90s. So, But we uh, like to look at everybody's longevity until their 90s anyway. Mm-hmm. And some people won't get there. But it's, you know, a conservative approach to financial planning. Will you be okay until you're 95 or something? And for most clients, that will be long enough, although we do have somebody who just had his 99th birthday. <laughs> but for most people, that, that's long enough. And so while if we're planning for both spouses to each live to 95, I think we're going to have that pretty well covered for most people. Are you finding that more women wish to get involved in these discussions, that they're interested in you know, actually a more granular approach to financial planning than they might have been traditionally? I think a lot of women are happy that somebody else is doing it and they don't have to do it. I think there are some women who today, even in the Me Too movement, are saying, look, if a woman could go out there and say publicly this or that happened to her, I could know about my finances. So, you know, just take care of yourself, create your own plan. Don't wait for Prince Charming. I think too many women do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, don't wait for for the lottery. Make your own plan and you'll get where you want to be. That's great advice to leave this conversation. So, thank you Karen Alfes very much for joining us. You're very welcome. I want to thank veteran financial planner Karen Alfest for sharing her strategies on empowering her women clients. We will have links to her on WealthTrack.com. And thank you all for listening. Please follow us on Facebook and Twitter. In the meantime, make the week ahead a profitable and a productive one. 